We're continuing our uh, series this morning. We're kind of looking at the, the gospel and prejudice, and not just you know, what we normally think of as prejudice, but all sorts of ways that we can be prejudiced. And so this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Galatians. If you go past the Gospels, past Acts, past Romans, you get those four little things, Galatians, Ephesians, um, Philippians, and Colossians. You can remember those, by the way, at General Electric Power Company, G-E-P-C, that's the order. So um, if you don't remember anything else today, you'll remember that. So anyway, so Galatians chapter 2, if you want to turn there in your own Bibles or open up your app on your phones there or pull it out in your bulletin, we try to get it for you as many ways as possible. And then, of course, my favorite, boys and girls, make sure you have your children's version here for you so you can follow along with us in a place you can ask us questions. Now, before we go to God's Word, let's go together in prayer. Oh, Father God, as we come before your word, we do come longing to worship your holy name. And our souls do proclaim that we want to bless you. And Lord, we ask that you would bless us, that you would speak to us through your word. Give us Christ. Help us to cast aside our hang-ups, our prejudices. Lord, would you reveal to us our prejudices so that we may repent by your Holy Spirit. We pray all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was by far the most awkward church potluck, like, ever. The big shot, out-of-town pastor, he had been there for a while, he'd met all these low-brow believers, and he just fell in love with them and their food. He now loved collards and brown rice. Mm, could not get enough. But a special place in his heart went towards the pulled pork barbecue sandwich. He had decided that that was probably humanity's greatest achievement. He was mad that it took him this long to find it. So there he was sitting at that table just chewing on one sitting next to a bunch of people wearing shorts and sandals, all of whom needed a shave and a haircut. And then they walked in. A surprise delegation from his fancy church. They showed up in their three-piece suits. They were very traditional. They were very religious. And they were very strict. And suddenly, big shot pastor stopped eating barbecue dressed back up, and he wouldn't spend any time with anyone except the traditional, strict, and serious members of the church, of this church he was visiting. Soon, lots and lots of other people in the church started doing the same things, including the associate pastor. They completely ignored a whole group of people in the church. Well, just so happens that the church planter himself was back for a visit, and he was there, and he had enough. And he stood up right in the middle of the potluck that night. And he shouted out to the big shot pastor, You're a hypocrite. You're denying the gospel. Awkward. That's our text today. That's what's happening as we go to this passage in Galatians. If you need to remember where, what's going on in the culture, in the, in the community, by the time of Jesus Christ. Okay, so go back you know, 2,000 years. The Israelites, the Jewish people had convinced themselves, okay, here's our problem. Why are we a conquered people? Why are these Romans 
ruling over us before that why were the greeks ruling over us before that why were all these other people why aren't we free why is god doing this to us and they had figured it out they were not strict and pure enough they had not separated themselves from the world enough they had not been a you know jews for jehovah kind of enclave like they should have been and so they created these entire systems to separate themselves from those dirty gentiles out there the temple itself by this point was separated into Jew and Gentile. If you were a Gentile, you could not go past certain points in the temple. And to keep the peace, the Romans actually allowed them to enforce that. Now, they covered it in religious language. But deep down, the Jewish people at this point in history, they knew. They just knew. They were the superior race. They were the chosen ones. And the Gentiles were, were, as we see from the words of Scripture itself, the Gentiles were called dogs. The Gentiles were called sinners. And as we saw so wonderfully last week, the Gentiles were called foreskins. Our passage this morning explores how those issues might work out in our lives. Our passage this morning forces us to ask, does the gospel truly make us all equal at the foot of the cross? Or does a certain group, a certain class, a certain race of people have a leg up when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ? Are they perhaps more favored? So with that background in mind, let's look together at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Peter had been here for a while, and now this episode happens, starting in verse 11. But when Cephas, that's another name for Peter, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is God's word. So Paul and Peter have a confrontation. And most of your English translations put the end of the quotation marks at the end of verse 14. Actually, I'm pretty convinced from the Greek text that Paul says publicly verses 14, 15, and 16 to Peter in the situation. So we included all of that as what he said out loud. See, the issue is, what about the Gentiles? Do they have to become Jews and then confess faith in the Jewish Messiah, which makes kind of logical sense, actually. Or can they go straight from paganism, no Old Testament background, no Old Testament practices, directly to faith in Christ, like most of us, all of us in the room, 
have done? Do we come to the cross in spite of our race and ethnicity, or do we have to do something about our race and ethnicity first? See, what we see here is Paul publicly confronts Peter when out of fear he retreated into racism instead of living in the truth of the gospel. And that gives us our theme for today. Boys and girls, you might want to write this one down. Everyone else, this is what we're going to try to figure out today. Perhaps at lunch when you're talking about the sermon, you can talk about this and see if we did it. When the gospel is at stake, we must care enough to confront the way things are. We all know what we're talking about. Something bad happens, makes us uncomfortable. We kind of, should we do something? Well, you know, that's just the way things are. See, what we're going to look at today and say, you know what? The gospel challenges the way things are. So let's look first. Make sure we're doing this from the text and not just from my opinions because my opinions don't mean anything. Let's look first at verses 11 through 13, the way things are. Antioch is where this takes place in ancient Rome. Antioch was a thriving, multicultural city. Population of about half a million people, huge for that day and age. It had a very large Jewish population as well. Some estimates are between 10 and 15% of the city was Jewish. And the church in Antioch actually reflected that diversity. This is back in the day when there was one church per city. Can you imagine One church for half a million people. And the city was such a melting pot, and the church reflected that melting pot that the book of Acts actually tells us that the people in Antioch, they didn't know what to call these, new, these people. They're not Jews. They're not Zeus worshipers. They don't worship Artemis. They don't do the, you know, what they call terribolium, the bull worshipers. They, they don't do that. So they invented a new word. This is actually in the book of Acts. You can look it up. They invented a new word in Antioch to call these people Christians. Do you know that's where it came from? The church was so diverse, so many different kinds of people, they couldn't pinpoint. So let's just call them little Christs. Because we don't know what else to call these people. And Peter was a major player in all these Gentiles coming into the church, coming to faith in a Jewish Messiah. Peter. He was there when the Holy Spirit descended on Cornelius, the Gentile. Peter himself, who confessed after this event, God shows no partiality. He personally baptized some of the first Jewish converts. And Peter was a stud. In fact, Peter had to go to Jerusalem and defend himself because of his ministry to the Gentiles. Look with me at Acts chapter 11, verses 2 through 3. We'll throw it up for you so you can see it. This is right in God's Word. It says, look, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying... You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. He was on the defensive. He was on the right side. He was on the defensive. Now, to get some context here at this point, if you're paying attention, you should be asking, okay, what's up with the eating thing, right? I mean, who cares if you run through the drive-thru and get a Big Mac together? What? It's the big deal. Well, meal times were sacred to a Jewish mindset. It had been drilled into Peter and all these Jewish men since their youth. The Gentiles are unclean. The Gentiles are sinful. Separate from them and God will love us and appreciate us more. Mix with them and God won't love us as much. He knew that. Sitting at a table with them was actually considered defiling religiously. You could not go to worship publicly until you were cleansed from having been with 
a, Jew, uh, a Gentile if you were a Jewish person. And so table fellowship in that time was actually considered a sign of acceptance, a sign of approval. For a committed Jew to sit down and eat with Gentiles was an act of defiance. It was an act of rebellion. That's why if you remember in the Gospels, you can look this up in the second chapter of Mark, the Jewish establishment went nuts when Jesus dared to sit down with Gentiles and eat with them. You don't eat with tax collectors and sinners. So Peter in Acts 11 goes to Jerusalem to defend himself. He tells them about Cornelius, a Gentile coming to faith. All of these Gentiles coming to faith and receiving the Holy Spirit. And so in defending himself, he says this further on in Acts 11. Acts 11 verses 17 through 18, he says this. He says, look, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter shared the gospel with Cornelius and his whole household. And much to Peter's chagrin, if you actually read the chapter in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came down. They started speaking in tongues. God said, yes, I approve of this. And Peter had two choices to say, God shows no partiality or say, you got it wrong. Take it back. No, they're not Jewish. They haven't been circumcised. Remove your Holy Spirit. You're wrong, Lord. Peter chose the past. Okay, God said it's all right. And so he, he defends it and he has a ministry to the Gentiles. And that should have settled it. Peter thought it was settled. So he leaves this Jerusalem council. He goes to Antioch to hang out with Paul and Barnabas who were ministering to the church there in Antioch at this point. And sometime after this, a group of conservatives, traditional people, probably Pharisees who had accepted Christ as the Messiah but who had yet to shed that old Pharisee thing. A lot of us can relate to that probably. They, they came and they catch Peter eating the wrong kind of food with the wrong kind of people. And the text says literally there, I don't have a slide for this, the text says literally Peter retreated and excluded himself from them. He retreated and he excluded himself from them. Peter knew that the concerns of these traditionalists who showed up, he knew that their concerns were invalid. And the text tells us that he fell into this hypocrisy because of fear brought on by peer pressure. In his fear, Peter basically retreated back to the way things are. He started living normally as a Jew. You see, when the gospel messed him up, Peter lived differently. Because the gospel changed and challenged what was normal. But when hardcore the way things are people showed up, Peter reverted back to normal. He started, he goes, well, this is just the way things are. One man can't change it. You know, we're specifically looking at the racial aspect of this narrative. And there is a racial aspect here. You can't get around that from the very beginning of the church. As far back as sermons, we have actually, we have records of sermons from like 300, 400 A.D. I don't know if you know that, know that or not. We have them. You can, they're in my office. You can read them. As early as that, there was, people were understanding this was a racial issue. And so with that in mind, we need to turn this text on ourselves and ask us. You realize that we have a normal. 
that the gospel challenges. And here's the problem. White people, we don't think we have a culture. We have a culture, don't we? You can ask a couple people in this room, they'll tell you. We think the way we do things is normal, or the way things are. It's other cultures that do things differently. We're the default. They're different. We're vanilla. They're all the other things at Baskin-Robbins. We're normal. That's why we get frustrated. And I know you do because I do too when we hear people talking about systematic racism. It's like, I don't do that. What are you talking about? Because we don't see we have a culture. We don't see that our culture is the majority. So we don't see that our culture favors those who act like the majority. If you're outside of that system, it's very obvious a systematic racism. If you're in the system, like, what are you talking about? This is great. Why aren't you happy? We don't see that our world favors those who act like us. We don't see it because it's normal. And the gospel challenges that normal. It doesn't come in and say, that's sinful. You're not, don't hear what I'm not saying. The gospel challenges us to step back and recognize that normal. Now, at this point, if you're here and you're unfamiliar with the Scriptures, I hope it surprises you pleasantly that the Bible is this applicable to real life. I mean, Peter, because of peer pressure, gives in to fear. Anybody in the room because of peer pressure given in to fear before? Yeah, right? It doesn't go away, kids, by the way, when you get to be adults. In fact, it gets worse in a lot of ways. And it nails the motivation of Peter's heart here. It says it itself in the text. He is afraid. Fear keeps us in patterns and habits, even that we don't like. Even patterns and habits we don't agree with, fear keeps us in them, doesn't it? See, when the fear of people overcomes the fear of God, we are likely to deny the gospel. When the fear of people overcomes the fear of God, we are likely to deny the gospel. We Christians can believe in the gospel in our hearts. We can even confess it with our mouths and we can deny it with our lives. And Paul calls that what it is, hypocrisy. Look with me at the saddest verse in Scripture, I think. Verse 13. Looking at the situation, Paul says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. An entire group of the church stood up and said, I'm sorry, we can't associate with your kind. And the associate pastor joined them. Their failure here should humble us. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter was at Pentecost. He preached the sermon at Pentecost. He had been delivered out of prison miraculously. He had personally performed miracles. He had seen the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles and still in a moment of fear he fell back to the old Peter, the pre-gospel Peter. And the entire Jewish side of this church followed him. He retreated back to the way things are and they did too, even Barnabas. Fear and peer pressure led to hypocrisy. Oh, that should scare us and humble us. They fell back into ethnic differences being more important than the blood of Christ. 
This is religiously wrapped up racism. You cannot get around it. I know it makes some of you uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me to even say that, but it's here in the text. I challenge you to dig in. If you want to come to my office, we'll dig into it together. This is no different. I'm just going to say it as one of them who needs to repent. This is no different from conservative Presbyterian ministers, men who helped start the PCA, whose name is on the charter at Covenant Seminary and at Briarwood, teaching and defending segregation from Scripture. It's the same thing. If you had been there, early 70s in America, or A.D., let's say 50, in Antioch, what would you have done about it? What will you do about it now? See, Peter and the rest, they fell back into the way things are out of fear. But here's what's great about this passage. Here's what's great about the Bible and our gracious God. The answer to fear is not stricter rules and it's not just merely identifying sins. Racism is bad. That's not what this text does. But instead, the answer to fear is a deeper understanding and appreciation for the beauty of the gospel. See, what Paul says here is racism and fear both deny the gospel. Here's how a a fellow PCA pastor, much wiser than I am, says about this passage. Tim Keller from New York says this. He says, when our sin is rooted in fear... We need to be loved and strengthened in order to get the courage to do right despite our fear. Not only was Peter's racism out of line with the gospel, his cowardice was too. See, the answer to challenging the way things are is not to get stricter and enforce the rules. The answer is to understand the gospel better. And that's what Paul does in verses 14 through 16. He answers the way things are with a gospel challenge. Paul stands up and confronts Peter publicly. The offense was public against the gospel, and so the gospel is publicly defended. There was none of this. Peter's an important man. He deserves respect. You should have talked to him privately. No, for Paul, it was not peace at any price. It was the gospel at all costs. Look with me at verse 14. Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? See, Peter didn't look at, or Paul didn't look at Peter and say, racism is a sin, repent, although it is, and that would be true. He said, Peter, you're not living in accordance with the gospel. See, racial prejudice is a denial of the gospel of grace. Paul challenges him this way. Let's translate this into vernacular English. He says, look, how come you recognize that Jesus has set you free from all that Jewish stuff that we used to do? And yet you want to force the Gentiles to do all that stuff? What's up with that, Peter? That's a denial of the gospel. That's what he says. In case you're not quite following that, or in kids, in case you're not following that, let's look at the kids' translation of verse 14. Here's how he did it for them so they could understand this. Look, look at me. Let's get your bulletins out, boys and girls. Okay, it says this. It says, I saw that they were not living out their faith. They were casting off the gospel, and so I stood up in front of everybody and challenged Peter. If because of Jesus you no longer follow all those Jewish rules... How come you suddenly want our non-Jewish members to follow all those rules? 
See, that's what he's asking. Why is Jewish ethnicity better than this? And I know it's hard for us to think of because we think in religious terms. Well, isn't he talking about religious practices, not about race? Being Jewish at this point in history and kind of even today is a mixture of cultural practices and ethnic identity. You can't really separate the two. So this is a, racist, a racial and religious issue, which makes it more sticky and hard to unravel. But basically what was going on here is Peter's actions said only Jews can be saved. So if you're a Gentile, you need to go through all these things, where you, all these practices we have where you repudiate not only your former religious practices, but you actually have to repudiate being a Gentile and actually be baptized, washed, and made a Jew, and then you can come to Christ. He was saying, nope, I'm sorry, non-Jewish people need not apply. It was a segregation system. Peter had forgotten his own gracious acceptance in Christ, is what Paul says. Paul did not focus on the sinful behavior. I love that. He zoomed in on the sinful self-righteousness behind the prejudice and said, this is a gospel issue. Because self-righteousness is behind all prejudice. You know, such prejudice, by the way, is not just it's not just a white problem. Please don't hear me saying that. It's a human problem. Just this past week, I was listening to an NPR uh, on the, in the car driving somewhere, and it turns out that this Latina actress has been cast into the role of a major civil rights uh, leader. And the major civil rights leader in real life was very dark-complected, and this Latina is not. And it's very controversial in the black community. And the NPR report used that to go into this entire report that maybe I'm just that ignorant. I had no idea. There's an entire system of pressure. It's not universal in the black community, but it's definitely there of ranking and treating people differently based on how dark they are. I had no idea. Now, before you kind of get that's weird. White people used to do it too. We did it about 100 years ago in the, in the great waves of immigration. The Italians didn't like the Brits, who didn't like the Germans, who didn't like the Poles, who didn't like the Czechs. And today we just call them Caucasian. But at the time, they no, 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 I am not just, I am a Czech. I am Polish. I am, and I don't like the Irish. And, and no one likes the Italians. That's, that was very true. You can look it up. See, there's this desire in the human heart. There's this wiring, it seems like, to separate and say we are better because of whatever. See, Paul continues his confrontation about those issues. In verses 15 and 16, Paul basically says to him, Peter, dude, if you think your Jewishness gives you a leg up with God, you're denying the gospel. Either we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ or we are saved by what we do and who we are. Hoss, you pick right now, which is it? What we do, who we are, or who Jesus is and what he's done. Because you can't do both, and you're denying one. See, it's a gospel issue because we all fail. All peoples, all races fail to reach God. No single people group has an advantage. And we forget that. We get very comfortable in the way we do things and we assume, well, the way we do things must be what God likes. I've used this illustration before. I apologize for a repeat, but it's so salient. I think it really helps. I'm a, I'm a sci-fi fan. 
Now, as soon as I say that, I know some of you are like, oh, shut up, sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a baseball involved. That should get you back, right? So there, there's this series of alternate history I like to read by an author named Harry Turtledove, and he has this whole world where it's, an, it's a different timeline. Basically, what happens is these aliens invade in 1942, right in the middle of World War II, and they have technology weaponry that we had in the 90s. So very advanced, but not advanced enough to conquer the world. And so they don't conquer the whole world, but they conquer most of Eastern America and most of Western Europe. And so he zooms in on Florida, and in Florida, he makes this social commentary. He shows that, that most of the blacks in Florida are voluntarily working for the alien occupiers. They're not forming a resistance. Their lifestyle is raising, their income is raising, and they're actually happy. One of the leaders of the human resistance meets with kind of one of the leaders of the black community, and he basically says, how can you turn on your species like this? What is wrong with you? How can you do it? And this black leader looks at him and says, hold on there. The only reason you resist them is because they treat you like you treat us. To them, we're all black. And I remember reading that going, whoa, that's, that's, that's profound. See, and that idea is exactly why racial prejudice is a gospel issue. Before a holy, pure God, we are all less than. We are all lacking. We are all in need. We are all, instead of a, a false perception like it is with race, it's an actual reality. We are all inferior and lacking and needing help. So much so that it took the death of Jesus Christ to save us. See, when we realize that, that we are all universally equal in our lack before God, our need, how could we ever look down on another race? How could we ever think we're superior? How could we ever nurture a prejudice in our heart? See, that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus loved his people from all nations so much that he was willing to pay the price to set us free. That song we teach our children at VBS, right? Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. So here's what we have to ask ourselves. In our relationships with non-Christians, are we Paul or are we Peter? Do we make it seem as if some things are more important for salvation than simple faith in Jesus Christ? Many of you know I was a firefighter chaplain for several years in Missouri as I was a pastor. And firefighters, you know, they're blue-collar workers, great guys, and they tended to use colorful language. And every time they would see me in the room, they would immediately apologize. Oh, sorry, sorry, chap. Sorry, sorry, rev dog. And, and my standard response was, I don't care. I'm not your mom. Why did they feel the need to apologize? Because Christians have a reputation, don't we? We have somehow let people believe that they need to clean up and then come to Jesus instead of come dirty and let him clean you up. And that is also an expression of a distinction, of a prejudice, of a wall of separation. We want people to be like us in our church, and so when they aren't like us, we're kind of tempted to first make them like us instead of pointing them to Christ. We are more like Peter than we care to admit. 
We may politely sit by those other people in church, but we won't eat with them. We won't really become friends with them. You see, we too desperately need the gospel to overcome our fears, to challenge our normal, and to help us wipe out the way things are. Thank God he has a big gospel that can help us to change our church and our city. You know, about four and a half, five years ago, I was spending significant time online researching this place called Orangeburg. You know, if you Google Orangeburg, what's near the top, if you've done it recently, still to this day, the massacre. You know the massacre I'm talking about where where one significant group in town basically once a year says, why can't they let that go? Why is it in the paper again? And the other group says, why don't they care it happened? Isn't it great that the Lord has raised up a church in the middle of that strife to remind both sides to turn their eyes to the one who was massacred for their sin, that they might have peace with God and thus have peace with each other? Because in Jesus Christ, God's word says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, black or white. Because we're in Christ. That's the promise of Scripture. The Tower of Babel's reversed. Many nations are brought back together into one, into a new humanity, the most multi-ethnic, transnational, polysymphonic collection of people the world has ever seen. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ. See, and when the church is empowered by the gospel instead of burdened by fear, the nations will be glad because they will hear that gospel. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we admit that prejudice is deep in our heart. It's deep in our culture. And we thank you, Lord, that by your grace, most of us in the room, we don't like it. But we also admit that oftentimes it's just the way things are and we put up with it instead of challenging it. We might even participate because it's easier. Lord, would you help us to have a deeper understanding of your gospel, one that would give us the courage of Christ because we have perfect acceptance with you so we would not fall into the fear and peer pressure of going along with the way things are. Instead, Lord, would you help us to speak your grace to our community? Lord, would you forgive us of our prejudice, our religious prejudices, our class prejudices, prejudices, our, our ethnic prejudices? Would you forgive us of those things and help us to love other people, especially fellow believers, because we are in Christ together? Now, Lord, would you use your church to destroy racism? Because politics can't do it. And it just gets ugly when it tries, as we're seeing. Now, would you use your gospel to destroy prejudice and start with me? We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise. Let's respond to God's word by singing together. Mm -hmm.